Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do you know why he's called Buffalo Bill? Please tell me. The newspapers won't say. Well, it started as a bad joke in Kansas City homicide. They said... This one likes to skin his humps. Why do you think he removes their skins, Agent Starling? Throw me with your acumen. It excites him. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No, you ate your... Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. I don't I forget who it was, but I met somebody at Red Letter Media mm-hmm. because they were at uh, Wizard World, Chicago. I think it was Jack. It might have been Josh. Hmm. Might have been Mike. Okay. Wasn't Jay, wasn't Rich Evans. I don't know how you confuse those three, but... It was... How long ago was this? A long time ago. Yeah, because they don't do cons anymore. No, it was just one and done. Okay. Um, It was... Half in the bag didn't even start yet. Whoa. Like, I have a flyer for, like, our upcoming show, Half in the Bag. Huh. They were just writing off of Plinkett stuff. Yeah, And that's how I knew them. I was like, whoa. I saw like the props, the bones. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. I was like, wow, cool. Yeah. Like, kept on going. Oh, man. They liked my costume because I was Imperial Officer. Nice. And I remember they're like, oh, nice. I was like, yeah. See ya. See ya. And they're like, and he's gone. <laughs> uh, a worthwhile fan interaction. Yeah. Remember for us, my life. I mean, better than like. Being that clingy fan who doesn't know when to when, when to shut up and go away. Yeah, I, it's always awkward for me when going to like Comic Con C two E two, and it's like you're approaching the artist and you're talking to the artist, and it's like, when do I leave? Yeah. When is it? When does it become awkward? 
I don't want to leave too early. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't want to buy anything. <laughs> uh, now I have to buy something. Yeah. What do I say to get out of this? All right. Cool. I got a plane to catch. <laughs> I say it to everybody. Down yeah. to ours. Down. All yeah, right. Well, they, I have a plane to catch. They see you walking back like an hour later. Why didn't I have to catch it right now? I just have to catch it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't lying. <laughs> I don't know. I guess for like most artists, creators, whatever, they just want to like, it's just nice to know that like somebody's enjoying their stuff. Yeah. So just like keep it short and sweet. Like, hey, really love your stuff. Inspired me to blah, blah, blah. Thanks. Keep up the great work. That's what I did to like, I met, did you watch The Walking Dead? I watched the first season. Oh. Then I lost interest. Uh, You know, Michael Chiklis. That's not him. I don't know. It's one one of the actors. Yeah. He played, uh, he was in The Wire, I think. But anyways, no one was by him. He was like about to leave. And I just walked up to him and I was like, sir, uh, I forget his name. I was like, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I think you're amazing. You did a great job on the the show. And he's like, thank you. (laughs) I was like, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah. And that's all you need to say. Yeah. I mean... I guess if you have like more specific questions for them or want to buy their merch or something, that's a different story. But most of the time, I think that's all you need to do. Yeah. Thank you. You're great. Goodbye. Yeah. Show respect. Keep the, keep the hero worship to a minimum. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't try anything cute or gimmicky or wacky. Exactly. All right. Well, are you ready to start? Yes, sir. We're going to start. Are we recording? We're recording. Okay, good. Okay. So, Aaron, welcome back to Syndicates. I'm so glad that you're here. We're celebrating Halloween. And before we get started, the last time you were on, what was it? It was Nope. It, nope? Yeah. Nope. Another horror movie. Yeah, we were, we were drinking some monkey shoulder yes. whiskey. Yes. And uh, I forgot to record. We got deep into it. Yeah. <laughs> forgot to record for 10 minutes. That's why I asked. <laughs> well, the thing is, I pressed record. And then I pressed it again. Um, so I like enabled it and then disabled it immediately. Nice. I won't make that mistake this time. Nope. Because we're, <laughs> we're recording right now. Okay. So you're back with another horror movie. We're mm-hmm. celebrating Halloween. So Silence of the Lambs. I, before we even get started, how did you first discover Silence of the Lambs? I don't even remember. Because... Um, you know, it, was, it came out before I was born, so no chance of seeing it oh, in theaters. God. I was born in 91 when okay. the movie came out. <laughs> um, I was, yeah, I was born in 94. Um, I guess it was just when, at some point in my life, I had like a list of movies that I needed to watch. Um, a lot of them like classics and critically acclaimed ones. And somehow this movie like ended up on that list. And I think I like borrowed the Blu-ray from the library wow, and like watched it, uh, watched it there. Okay. And, um, yeah, yeah, this movie's pretty special. It always left a mark on me as far as like the kind of tone that it has. And it's a thriller, but it's also like deeply psychological. Mm-hmm. And it's always great when the horror is like another human being and not like a, a monster. monster. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a level of crafts, craftsmanship and skill and mastery that's put into this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that is pretty rare to find even among non non horror movies. Yeah. And it's telling that I believe this is still true. This is the only horror movie to have won an Oscar for what that's worth. Maybe the sixth sense. Maybe. I know sixth sense was nominated. Okay. I don't know if it won. I think sixth sense. No way. That was after 91. So maybe a silence of the lambs, uh, walked. So sixth sense could run. Oh. <laughs> or maybe the other way around, but I know Sixth Sense was also no. I know the uh, Silence of the Lambs won a bunch of won a bunch of Oscars, um, deservingly so. Like it's such an amazing movie, and like I discovered it probably before you. I think I was like twelve or something, mm-hmm. and my friends had a horror movie kick, so we would go to Blockbuster and we would rent a bunch of movies. Silence of the Lambs is one of them. It was mm-hmm. on DVD. That's how long ago it was. Gotcha. Not, not Blu-ray. Yeah. And by the way, Sixth Sense was nominated for six Oscars. Won none of them. Damn. And what year was that? This was 2000. I think it came out in 1999. Wow. So like um, way after Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. So uh, Silence of the Lambs was first. Produced in part by Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy. Hey. Very cool. So yeah, like I watched The Sixth Sense when I was a kid and like certain images, I haven't seen this movie since I was a kid. So this is the first time rewatching it with you. Um, certain images were burned in my mind. Certain mm-hmm. phrases were burned in my mind with Hannibal Lecter. Like, you know, this, the standard pop culture moments, Hello Clarice, and mm-hmm. I ate his liver with a side of fava beans and a Chianti. Yep. And then the ending line, which always stuck with me, mm-hmm. which was, I'm having an old friend for dinner. Mm. And I'm like, yep. oh, that just like, <laughs> you know, what a awesome it's, bookend. It somehow cuts more deeply than if they had actually shown him. Yes. Like, we'll, we'll get into it. Yes. But um, that's, one, that's actually one of the strengths of this movie is like how much of it is show, don't tell. And how much of it is like imply, don't show. Yes. And it somehow works better that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, because like there was one sequence which was a little bit hokey. I was like, maybe you should have showed it instead of like having it implied, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I mean, the tone, dread, and everything is up to your imagination. Yeah. Something sticky on my arm. What's sticky on your arm? I don't know. Did you have like peanut butter here earlier? No. There's something here. You know, I you know what I think it is? Oh. This is gonna be weird. Okay. Did you come on the table? No, I didn't come on the you table. You can tell me, we're friends. <laughs> no. Okay, so I was watching Sixth Sense, and Chelsea gets freaked out. She was like, I need to exercise the demons in this place. <laughs> so she had a, a salt water water bottle, a squirt bottle. Uh-huh. So she was like spraying a whole bunch of stuff. So it's probably Was salt. it blessed? Uh, she blessed it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably salt residue. Interesting. Yeah. You can just tell me that it's come. It's not <laughs> because like it was on the floor. Okay, it was on the it was on the TV. She was like, pss, pss. I was like, maybe you shouldn't spray electronics. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, uh, okay. So Silence of the Lambs, like it's it's one of those movies where it's like I'm watching it and it feels timeless. Mm-hmm. Like even though. It's very I, 90s. I was surprised it even came out in 91. I thought it came out like year 2000 or something. No. I mean, you can tell by the suits that it's very firmly 90s. Yes. Very big suits. But yeah, the, the I mean, it's not really limited by, so much by the technology of the time as far as the storytelling. Right. It's like right on the precipice of that. 
I mean, I guess they don't have the internet. She's like at a library looking at microfiche. Yeah. Uh, things like that. But, you know, it, it, it's just used as a storytelling device. Mm-hmm. And what really matters is the characters and the point of view that the story is being told from. Yeah. And the psychological depth of everything in the story. Yeah. And that's like what really drew me in is because, you know, when you're a kid watching this, a lot of the stuff goes over your head. Like mm-hmm. You're thinking like, oh, it's so scary. Hannibal Lecter, he eats people. But like when you're watching the, the movie, it's like, oh, the villain, one of the villains, the villain that's helping the hero, mm-hmm. Clarice, Hannibal Lecter is like getting into the minds of like everyone around him and especially Buffalo Bill and yeah. why he kills and also... What really hit home for me was Clarice's backstory, which completely went over my head mm-hmm. watching it as a younger person. I was like, wow, this I could see why it won an Oscar. Yeah. Helps that, you know, this was adapted from a novel. Right. Um, th- th- movies tend to do well when they're adapted from, you know, people who can actually write. Yes. But um, I, I think that's really necessary to get this kind of depth in these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the movie elevates it a bit more than the book I ended really? up, yeah i ended up reading so you the read book the book at book. one point yeah i ended up reading it at one point because i love this movie so much um okay and yeah it's one of those it's one of those cases where the book and the movie are trying to do two different things so it's not really uh fair to compare them uh apples to apples right but um yeah they for the most part the movie sticks pretty close to the book um there's some details here and there that are different, but who cares? Um, <laughs> the the thing that really works in the movie's favor is that it's they're using all the tools in the toolbox to tell the story, and they all just work together so well that you don't even realize that they're what that they're like in play. Really? So like the music, that like recurring motif of the theme, mm-hmm. um, that's playing into it. The cinematography, mm-hmm. uh, which I want to talk about in detail, but um, like that's working together hand in hand with the script and the characters and the acting, uh, all these different pieces, especially the production design is, uh, it's just all coming together. So seamlessly and flawlessly. And that's what really happens when you have a great team working together under uh, people with like a singular creative vision in this mm-hmm. case, director Jonathan Dem. And it, it, I don't know what else, to, what else to say, except that it, it, it's, it's just this unified whole. And that's what a lot, <laughs> well, that's what a lot of movies are missing nowadays where they feel like really disjointed or like they're made by committee or they're just like, there's no vision, right? It, it's like you're putting a bunch of stuff through this sausage grinder of the studio system yeah and you're losing that artistic touch that right. movies like this really have and that's what makes them so timeless because like with this film you could tell like from the director to the dp to the the product or not the product but the production designer production designer like they're all working together it's like this is our vision on what we want to tell with this story from adapt, adapted from this book so it makes mm-hmm. sense that everyone's working together as opposed to this is a horrible example, but like a Marvel film where it's like everything's designed by community. It's formulaic and mm-hmm. you have like a small town creating this uh, manufactured blockbuster. Yeah. While, while this film is like it has a story to tell and these artists are all coming together, working with their strengths to 
effectively tell this story. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this because I approached you. I was like, I'm doing some Halloween episodes and you're like, I want to do silence of the lambs. Why silence of the lambs? I think it was, well, I had to go through my Rolodex of horror movies because like, I don't know why, but I've, I've seen so many that yeah. just asking me to pluck one out of thin air is actually pretty difficult. Um, of course. And I think it was fresh in my mind because recently I went on a trip to New York and I went to the Museum of the Moving Image and they have Ooh. lots of fantastic things there. You should absolutely go if you have the chance. You can okay. see a bunch of the cameras and sound equipment that have been used throughout history, but they also have a section uh, devoted to like the pre-production uh, process of making films mm. and they actually have quite a few materials on display at least at the moment from silence of the lambs the production designer christy zay mm. z i don't know how you z-e-a uh she won an oscar for her work with the production design and wow. you can actually see like they almost have like a mood board or like a lookbook yeah for just in general like how the movie should look and feel there's a lot of emphasis on just like emotional striking images. Mm -hmm. Then there's like some sketches of some different symbols, symbols that show up in the movie, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but it's also cool that you could see like blueprints of the ballroom where they hold Hannibal Lecter as he's being transferred. There's um, like complete plans and designs for the sets that are built, like yeah. the prison hallway that, uh, that Clarice and Hannibal Lecter have a couple of conversations in. Where they first meet. Right. There's a complete like 3D diorama of Buffalo Bill's basement. And it's like you start to realize That's like. crazy. Yeah. For, for all of these locations um, that are not filmed on location, it's a built set. Like somebody has to design all these. Somebody has to build these. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you have to know like what the look and feel of each location should be functionally what you need in there, as well as like what materials are you going to use for the wallpaper and the like right. curtains and um, how that all should fit into what the story is trying to tell mm -hmm. and what the look and feel of everything is. So it's very well done. Um, definitely recommend you go there, but um, yeah, that was fresh in my mind and that's why I recommended it because I'm I'm like you know what it's been a little bit since I've seen this movie, let's watch it again. I know I'm going to enjoy it, and I know you you will too. Yes, like you describing this museum uh, with this artist's pre-production work in it. It's just it's quite clear that she had a a vision, mm -hmm. and not only that, like she did the actual creative process. Like she was like, okay, these are my reference images. Let me sketch it out. Let me do the blueprints. Let me do a model. Mm -hmm. Before we build it, before yeah. we get like the okay from the stakeholders, like, okay, now we're going to do it. It's like she sold this idea to the production and it's like, that is a true visionary. Like she put in the work and it shows because like the movie looks awesome. And like some of the sets, I was even questioning while watching it. I'm like, is this a real location <laughs> or is this a set? Because like, if this is a real location, this prison is like wild. Because yeah. it looks like partially contemporary and then partially from like the middle ages, like a dungeon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, it, she's like writing that line with like the aesthetic of the film where it's like, it seems real. It's, it's so fantastical, but also practical at the same time. It's, it's awesome. I could see why she won an Oscar for all this. Yeah. Um, and 
it comes together so well because you have this like this like ordinary world that Clarice is a part of. Um, the uh, you know she's training for the FBI, um, and they actually filmed on location in Quantico, Virginia, oh, uh, where cool. the where the FBI training academy is. Yeah, and it just looks so boring and sterile, <laughs> <laughs> and and just completely functional. But it's also like very clean and organized Um, and compare that to like most of the movie where all the locations are like grimy and grungy and gross Mm -hmm. and they're like severely cluttered with crap just everywhere. And it's like that's a reflection of the psychology of the different people involved. Yes. I'm so glad you said that because like watching it, I don't know if like. David Fincher like ripped off the director of this film or the the DP, but like it just seemed very grimy, like his films. That's mm-hmm. why I thought it was like two thousand movie, yeah, like, like Seven, for instance. Yeah, it's almost the same aesthetic where it's like, okay, because I don't know if like this set the trend for all this stuff, but like that aesthetic of like, having a grimy, gritty, dirty set where it's like. Nothing's clean, mm-hmm. especially in Buffalo Bill's location where it's like, it feels like a lived in location. It looks like a hoarder house, like yeah. a real one. It does. So, and like the basement itself is just like a labyrinth. Right. Like you're, you're never quite, as Clarice goes through it, like you never quite know like where she is or it's, it's very disorienting. Yes. Just like his mind. Exactly. I want to get into that, but first, Aaron, I need you for those that haven't seen this film, how would you pitch this movie to someone that hasn't seen this movie? Okay. Uh, this is a, this rides the line between a psychological thriller and a horror film where the horror is someone else's mind. In this case, mm-hmm. the mind of Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a brilliant psychiatrist uh, turned serial killer and cannibal. <laughs> um, but he's the, person the fbi needs the most because they're after a another serial killer who is systematically kidnapping and killing uh women in tennessee and the fbi is on the case and uh after a senator's daughter is kidnapped and set to be the next victim fbi trainee clary starling has to try to cooperate with dr hannibal lecter to try to track down the serial killer before he kills again Yes. So, yeah, I mean, this, because like when you watch this movie, what's what you're being sold on is Hannibal Lecter, Mm -hmm. the cannibal. Yeah. Played by Anthony Hopkins. Oh, what a, what a great performance. But like, he's not the villain. No, he's a supporting character. Yes. Like he's, he's not the main threat. The main threat is Buffalo Bill, uh, the serial killer that's abducting, like you said, women. And what's insane about, this uh, serial killer is that he skins them. Yeah. He skins these people and the FBI doesn't really know why mm-hmm. they think it's like a calling card or something. He's killing them and then skinning, skinning them. It's only later in the movie that's revealed that he's creating a, a woman suit. Yeah. Which is fucked. It is. It's, it's so fucked up. Yeah. Um, and, but it deals with this, this central theme of transformation, yes. which we'll get into, but, um, so Clarice is kind of thrown into this. She's still, she's not a full FBI agent. She's still undergoing training. And it's almost like um, Dante's Inferno, where she's kind of thrown into this like 
insane fucked up world of serial killers. And Dr. Hannibal Lecter is like her Virgil, who's like guiding her through it. Mm. But he's also a danger to her because of how he gets into the minds of his victims. And that's the thing that he really excels at more than anything is understanding human psychology and getting into people's minds and manipulating them into whatever he wants. That's like his yep. ultimate control. Mm -hmm. So she kind of has to extend a hand to him to get some help to track down the serial killer at the same time, knowing that like really Hannibal Lecter is like a wild animal that is like only barely tamed. And she's, she just this, this is not prepared for, for getting thrown into the deep end like this, but it's what she has to do. I like how you describe Hannibal Lecter, that he's a, a wild animal that was uh, barely trained or barely tamed mm -hmm. um, because like he is like the apex predator. Yeah. Like he truly is because like uh, in the film, he is with like three other dudes. They're all in separate cells, but like mm -hmm. his cell, it's not like a bunch of bars. It's a uh, plexiglass, yeah. bulletproof glass with like little holes for him to breathe through mm -hmm. and it's like he's such a crazy danger immediate danger um that they say don't approach the glass don't touch the glass mm -hmm. don't accept anything that he offers you so it's like they're creating this barrier from him because they know how dangerous he is because yeah. like in that set in that sequence i forget i forget the character's name it's like marv or merv or or some the the dude that's directly next to his cell, Migs. Migs. He was like accosting a Clarice when he saw her. Yeah. And he like jizzed in his hand and threw it in her face. <laughs> Gets like right in her eye. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't expect this movie to have a cum shot in it. But I remember that movie. <laughs> some, some PA had fun with that one. <laughs> I remember that scene when I was a kid. I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. But like he killed that character simply just by talking to him. Yeah. It's like, how do you do that? Yeah. Hannibal can do that. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't they don't elaborate on exactly how it was done, but it was basically just Dr. Lecter just fucking him up from the inside, just manipulating him through through words. Right. And then Megs ended up swallowing swallowing his own tongue. Yep. And I was like, fuck. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's how dangerous he is. He can mm. just speak and people will end up killing themselves. Yeah. That that plexiglass cell that he's in mm -hmm. was originally just like a practical consideration from the DP. Really? Yeah. They knew that these conversations between uh, Dr. Lecter and Clarice um, were going to be an important part of the story. And uh, I don't know if it was the director or the DP. They didn't want to like film it traditionally where it's just iron bars and it's just going to get in the way of like the actors and their performance. Right. So, um, Christy Z was just like, why don't we just have plexiglass there? And they're like, cool, that'll work. But it also just reinforces the theme as far as like how dangerous he is and how he must be contained. But it also like visually separates him from the other inmates at the mm -hmm. prison where it's basically saying like, this guy's not like all these other crazy dangerous people. He's right. like in a whole category on his own. Right. Like when watching that scene, it's such an iconic aesthetic to having that plexiglass uh, cell that he's in. Cause like 
when people look back at Hannibal Lecter, they think of that, Mm -hmm. where he's in that type of cell. And when you described him, like, being separated from all the other inmates, like, he is truly a different human. Mm -hmm. Like, he is separated from those criminals. And even Clarice and everyone else. Like, I love the framing of that, where he's, like, clear, like through the blocking where it's there's a clear separation between him and Clarice and that reminds me of like you've seen Empire Strikes Back Mm -hmm. one of the best scenes of uh, that movie is when Darth Vader is having his helmet lowered on him yeah and he's in like that shell thing Mm -hmm. and the Imperial officer that informs him like oh the the Millennium Falcon escaped yeah Um, it's the blocking his shell is like blocking part of the Imperial officer. So like there's a clear separation between Darth Vader and some dude. Mm-hmm. Like he's no, he's no longer a human. Like through so many different things, there's separation between him and a normal person. Yeah. It's the same thing with Hannibal Lecter. At the same time though, in that Star Wars scene, we get like a little bit, uh, we, we catch a moment of Darth Vader who's just like a little bit vulnerable. Cause yeah. like, we see one of the last parts of him that's still human, his head, mm-hmm. uh, his bare ass head, <laughs> uh, just as the helmet's being lowered down onto it. So it's like humanizes him a little bit. Yes. We don't really get that with Hannibal Lecter. No. <laughs> like he is like a cold, almost like a cold killing machine. He's almost like if uh, Michael Myers had the insight of like a clinical psychologist. Yeah. Michael Myers with a PhD. <laughs> yeah. yeah but with Hannibal Lecter like the way he gets inside everyone's psyche I really appreciate that because Mm -hmm. like I don't know if it's I don't know much about the original author but like it's clear that the author did his homework oh yeah I would even guess that the author maybe has a clinical psychology background because it's like to illustrate that through fiction you clearly have an understanding of like how humans work yeah and this was back in the 90s when like not many people had that kind of, it's not so readily talked about the way it is today. Right. And like, you have like that drop of like Hannibal Lecter saying like, you know, like what Marcus Aurelius said. Yeah. And I'm watching, I'm like, this is why Aaron likes this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's uh, very clearly trained in the classics. Um, there's a lot of different literary and religious references pulled in. Some of them subtle, some of them not so much. Mm-hmm. Um and Hannibal Lecter's kind of the focusing prism uh, for all of that. Like, um, and it's that it's that clash between his, I guess, love of beauty and sophistication and like yeah. the high life and the horrible, depraved, fucked up shit that he does. That's makes him so interesting. So it's a duality where you have him this ordered man who mm-hmm. likes classical music and like manners, you know, manners, drinks Chianti, mm-hmm. fava beans. That's a very sophisticated person. Yeah. But at the same time, he's a cannibal. Yeah. And he eats humans. Yeah. Brutally. Oh yeah. There's a scene where he eats this dude's face <laughs> and he's alive. Yeah. And I'm like, at that moment I was watching, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, it's like, how does that even work? You just you grabbed his face and just started chomping on him. Yeah, I think he's a crazy man. I think Anthony Hopkins described him as like a brilliant soul trapped in a crazy mind. Ooh, I like that. Because it's true. Because mm-hmm. like who he is on the deep down, 
is this uh, beautiful artist, I would say. Yeah. But like his psyche is fucked up. It is. And I think that's the key for why we kind of root for him a little bit. Um, a little bit of an anti-hero. Yeah, we we have like a we have some kind of connection with him as the audience. Um, I think part of it is has to do with how he's able to read Clarice and get inside her mind, mm-hmm. and we're already like well identified with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it too is that like sophistication, that kind of refined taste, uh, what you might call like his sense of beauty or like the 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 higher things of humanity mm-hmm. is like kind of um connect with that in some way because if if it's just like all like horrible traits like if if he was like a mr plinkett or something <laughs> then like i don't think we'd we'd identify him with him at all right but um it's that the way the movie sets us up to identify with clarice and then the relationship that she uh engages with with Dr. Lecter that is really at the core of this movie. What's interesting is their rapport together. They both have respect for one another. Yes. And that goes a long way. Like she never approached him uh, antagonistically or like with malice or with dread or fear. She respected him. She was there to, she, she didn't even know why she was even sent there in the no. beginning. Like she was just here, talk to Lecter. Yeah, she was tricked. Uh, <laughs> um, but I love the way the movie kind of sets us up that she's already like out of her element. Right. Because um, right from the beginning. Because she's in training. Yeah. Opening shots, she's like running through the obstacle course and she's like completely by herself. Yeah. Then she gets called in to talk to her superior, who ends up sending her to talk to Lecter. And something I noticed when I watched this time around is that um, when she's like going through the Quantico training facility and um you know the credits are rolling and she's taking this little journey to uh the fbi officer's office and you know it it could be just like a boring little trip but they actually use that time well to establish like what kind of uh character clarice is right because as she goes through different parts of the like training facility i noticed that like she has this outfit on that's like darkish blue pants and like a gray hoodie. Yeah. And nobody else has that outfit. Um, there are really, yeah. I thought that was the standard uniform. Everybody else is wearing standard uniforms based on like what program they're in or like what job they're doing or like what training they're doing. Mm. They're all wearing uniforms that match each other, but she's not. She's wearing that Heather gray. Yeah pull over later um as the movie goes on she starts to like match uniforms with other people but at the very very beginning she doesn't match anybody and she's also like way smaller than everybody else yeah um most obvious part the most obvious place that you see this is like when she's going into the elevator and she's she's just like surrounded by all these big dudes yes (laughs) um but uh yeah everyone that she passes like on her way to the office is like either in a suit or like a standard uniform that doesn't match hers. And they're all like taller than she is. Why do you think that is? I think they're trying to establish that, you know, she's out of her element, but even like in the FBI training camp, like, you know, she still has it out for her as far as like, she doesn't quite fit in with everybody else. Um, She, 
it's basically setting up that she has to fight hard just to get like to where she is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's establishing that she has the kind of determination and character required to be like a successful agent. Yeah. And this is kind of confirmed in the opening talk with her superior where he's like, you know, you stood out during uh, your internship. You like grilled me pretty hard at a lecture that I gave. Um, and so, yeah, she's obviously like top of the class, but she's also like um, an unlikely unmatched uh, candidate. If, if you were just stereotyping. Cause she's a petite woman. Right. But she proves herself. And mm-hmm. so it's by her merits that she got to where she is yeah. right now. And at the same time, it's sending the message that like, it's a big, scary, ugly world out there. And, um, you know, she's just a student. She's just a trainee. Right. Um, and she's going to need the help of someone who knows that world in order to make it through. Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like when she, uh, to further your point, like when she was leaving uh, Quantico and like was on um, an actual assignments uh, trying to find Buffalo Bill, the serial killer, um, the entire time it's an uphill battle because like mm-hmm. back in 91, uh, it's like a male dominated world mm-hmm. of uh, law enforcement and uh, special agent stuff. Like it's all dudes. Yeah. And she is uh, a young woman attractive which doesn't help her at all Mm -hmm. because like they don't take her seriously no one takes her seriously the police don't the fbi agents don't Mm -hmm. like there's few scenes where like uh when she goes to tennessee uh on assignments and she goes to i believe one of the funerals for one of the women that were killed yes and she's surrounded by police officers and not only are they sizing her up but they're also doing like elevator eyes Mm -hmm. that they they're just thinking about undressing her yeah and also in that scene, it's like she has to deal with that, those men. And also she just, um, it's an uphill battle because like, they're not going to take her seriously. If yeah. you're, if you're undressing a woman with your eyes, you're not respecting her. Yeah. Um, Dr. Elector even like calls this out at one point when he's talking to Clarice where he's like, do you think like your boss is doing that? same thing to you and right. it's almost like testing her and she's like you know that doesn't really concern me um right and uh but but yeah even like her boss doesn't always have her back like at the very beginning talking to Lecter, he like tricks her by saying it's just this kind of routine thing like we're not after anything in particular just like talk to him pass him this questionnaire see what he says mm-hmm. um see like what his condition is and you know he had to do that because if she had gone in there with an agenda, then Lecter would have been able to detect it. Exactly. But still, kind of a shitty thing to do to your trainee, to just straight up lie to them. It is a shitty thing to do, but it's a smart thing to do. Because yeah. like she isn't seasoned, so she doesn't know how to conceal mm-hmm. and deceive whoever she's talking to. Right. So it's like she would have had tells, she would have telegraphed the whole reason why she's even there, and Lecter would have been like, I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah, and... She even ends up kind of doing that, like during the first conversation, you know, she, uh, as Dr. Lecter points out, responds to courtesy with courtesy, um, shares the embarrassing truth about what Miggs said to her, um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it engages with Lecter with like, uh, 
with respect and authenticity. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of like clumsily like transitions to like handing him the the questionnaire. Yeah. And from that point on, she never tries anything like that again. She's just like always genuine with Dr. Lecter. Yeah, because like I'm not going to say trust because inherently she doesn't trust him because mm-hmm. he's a wild animal. Yeah. He could kill her. But what's interesting why we root for Dr. Lecter and Clary's together is because they have mutual respect for each other. And mm-hmm. it's like he's helping her. He likes her. Yeah. Maybe not romantically, but he's like, I'm not going to kill. And he says it multiple times throughout the film. It's like, I'm, I'm not, I don't have anything to, I'm not going to bring you harm or anything like that. So it's like, there's a level of respect and he likes her. So it's like, yeah, a little bit, little tiny glimmer of what makes him human. Yeah. It's like, he can tell that she's a cut above the rest. And so respects her for that. And also for the fact that she respects him. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like, um, OJ from Nope, respecting his horses and respecting yes. the, the, the UAP. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Clarice didn't look Hannibal Lecter in the eye. Right. Because he didn't blink. <laughs> that was creepy where he was like talking to her and he's like staring at her the whole time. Yeah. Filmmaking. He only, he only blinks on purpose. Um, and <laughs> that, that's another little movie making trick that they use to like get you on Clarice's side is that this this movie just stylistically has a lot of close-ups a lot of people looking directly into the camera and clarice is always looking like a little bit off center from the camera but anybody talking to clarice looks directly like straight on (laughs) into the camera whether it's her i never noticed that yeah like her fbi boss does it um uh lector of course does it and even like her her friend in the training academy there's like a shot of her like looking straight into the camera lens um so yeah, look for that next time you watch the movie. So it's it, it, like psychologically, it it's like they're talking to you mm-hmm. and uh, it's never set up in a way that Clarice is talking to you. So right. naturally you identify with Clarice. That's smart. And it also gives uh, an atmosphere of unease mm-hmm. because like when you're watching a film, especially like this, a thriller, the characters aren't talking directly to you, staring directly at you, especially yeah. Hannibal Lecter. So it's like, it's such an effective uh, filmmaking technique because like it promotes the emotion that you're trying to give to your audience, mm-hmm. dread and unease. Yeah. I think they break that rule a couple of times when Clarice and Lecter are talking. I think there's a couple of shots where Clarice is like looking straight into the camera. It might be during her like um, her like final story that mm-hmm. she shares, but um, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing every little, movie making trick in the book to like get you to identify with Clarice and see the story from her perspective. Mm. And by proxy, uh, you relate to Dr. Lecter because as much as you're trying to get into Clarice's head and understand her, so is he. That's so awesome. Mm. Oh, so good. Good movie. So I want to get into Buffalo Bill, but before we do, I want to talk about Hannibal Lecter a little bit. Mm. So have you seen the other films of this series, Red Dragon and Hannibal? I saw Hannibal once. I don't remember too much about it. I don't think I liked it very much. I just remember one scene from Hannibal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think you, it's you the know, we all remember. Yeah. Where he takes the dude's skull off and starts eating his brain. Yeah. <laughs> while he's alive. Yeah. I think that movie got like, I think it veered too far into like the, the grimy underbelly yeah. of, of uh, some 
fucked up psychological <laughs> shit without like the balance, like the counterbalance of someone like Clarice. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Something about that movie didn't quite work for me. Yeah. It's also hard to do like a, a good sequel that lives up to the original. No yeah. matter what. Especially when like Silence of the Lambs is such a lightning in the bottle yes. kind of thing. I know we say that a lot with a lot of these movies, but it's true. It is true. You have the right people at the right time working on the right project. Mm-hmm. And that's what Silence of the Lambs is. Have you seen Hannibal, the TV show with Mads Mikkelsen? No. Is it good? Yes. I watched a few episodes and stopped, not because it was bad, but because I got busy. <laughs> yeah. I still have the Blu-ray of season one. And that's the, that's the stark contrast between Hannibal, the movie, and Hannibal, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Even though Hannibal, the TV show, is based off of Red Dragon. Okay. Um, so it's a prequel to Silence of the Lambs. Um, but they don't really get into the gore of what Hannibal Lecter does. Everything is implied yeah. because like you already know the TV. character. Yeah. And like, he's like, he would be like having dinner with friends and he would be, he would say something like, it's so nice to have friends for dinner. Uh. Something like that. <laughs> Where it's like, Oh, everything's implied. And it's yeah. like, nothing is shown too gratuitously. And so if you haven't seen the movie Red Dragon, I do recommend it. I remember it being good. I love to revisit it sometime. But, like, you should watch it if you okay. haven't seen it. I know how much you like Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. You got to watch it. Okay. He's in it. I mean, it's Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> yes. Like, when I think of uh, Hannibal Lecter, it's always Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Because, like, he is that character. Any movie I see him in, I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's Hannibal Lecter right there. And Mads Mikkelsen is a good number two. He was dating someone at the time. I think it was, it might have been Martha Stewart. No. Yeah. And she broke up with him because she couldn't dissociate him from Hannibal Lecter. Oh my God. Yeah. That's, (laughs) what? She got scared. I think so, yeah. (laughs) Wow. And then she started hanging out with Snoop Dogg. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can't win them all. No, (laughs) no. That's insane. I mean, that's how good his performance was. Yeah. Like, he is that character. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be such a fun role to play. It is. And it's like, only he could do it. Mm-hmm. Like, all of his acting choices that he made with this character was so pitch perfect. Yeah. And it worked like, so well. Like, his weird accent, the way that he, like, paces his dialogue and what he emphasizes and doesn't emphasize um he, it's very dreamlike yeah and he's like savoring every minute of it mm-hmm. um he, he just feels like in complete control at all times he's like a lion playing with his prey yes or like a spider or like a cat mm-hmm. or it's like which you know goes to what i said earlier he is the apex predator yeah and we're all his prey he really he is. eats people <laughs> and we are people <laughs> yeah but let's get into the main villain of the story, Buffalo Bill. Mm. So Buffalo Bill, when watching this, you know, I like true crime stuff. And what's interesting with Buffalo Bill is he's inspired from Ed Gein. Yeah. Do you know Ed Gein? Yeah, he was in uh, Wisconsin, wasn't he? Or, was or no, that's, that's Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer is in Wisconsin. Ed Gein was uh, around Chicago. Mm-hmm. I think it was Plainfield. Yeah. It's fucking suburbs. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, like, can you explain who Ed Gein is if, for those that don't know? So if I'm remembering correctly, Ed Gein, he, was he the one that dressed up as a clown? 
No, oh my, we have so many serial oh killers in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that was uh, John Wayne Gacy. Oh who my god, lived in Chicago. You're right. Fun, the fun fact: I used to drive past his neighborhood all the time, which is <laughs> near O'Hare. Yeah, um, near uh, Rosemont, actually. That's wild. Yeah, it's and it's pretty normal looking suburb too. So no, not him. Okay. Um, Ed Gein was in Plainfield, and his claim to fame infamy was he killed people and he took their skin off that's right and like lampshades and shit like he would make like suits yeah he had a cauldron that he would put the body parts in to get the skin off because he was like boil the skin off yeah it was fucked he had like a belt made of nipples yes (laughs) yes i'm surprised you remember that yeah yeah um yeah, he had this fascination with nipples. He had like a whole chest of them. Yeah. Because he wanted to be a woman. Mm. Same story with Buffalo Bill. Interesting. Well, Buffalo Bill's inspired from Ed Gein. But like I, I had never it, heard the angle that he like wanted to transform into a woman. Why Oh my God. I'm starting to remember another thing. He <laughs> okay, so he targeted women and he would cut off their vaginas. Ooh. And he would put it over his dick. Whoa. Yes. Whoa. So I don't know if he wanted Let's to get a fleshlight, dude. <laughs> no, he wasn't like doing it to stimulate himself. He would just put on top of oh. like kind of like the bodysuit thing would. Yeah. Bill. That's wild. It's severe mental illness. Yeah. No kidding. But like, I mean, I don't, I don't know inside his criminal mind, but like with uh, Buffalo Bill, you know, it's, it's an echo of Ed Gein where like, yeah. we have this character and the FBI believes he's a transvestite or transsexual. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's that. And I think the movie even tells us it's more than that. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think at the time there was some backlash against this movie uh, from the trans rights community yeah. um, for portraying trans people in a negative light. Um, I, but I think it was a, it was a panic because like it's very clear in the movie that they're like, no, he's not like your garden variety transsexual. Uh, this is something like more fucked up. Like he's he's not even <laughs> he's not even a real one. Like he's th- this is a uh, as Doctor Lecter puts puts it. He's like he's he's coveting. He wants to transform. It's much more like a identity issue. Yeah. Um, not related to like gender identity at least i don't think so but it's more like a fucked up version of that combined with like sociopathic tendencies because we don't really know much about buffalo bill's backstory Mm -mm. but it's quite clear he's not comfortable in his own skin yeah like whether it's like he had like a fucked up parent situation maybe he was violated in some way but like the hallmarks is Whatever it was, he was abused. Mm-hmm. And then now as an adult, he's like, I don't want to even look like myself. Yeah. It's kind of like Michael Jackson. Yeah. They, they actually hinted that with um, the production design of his like. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Basement and house in in that um, there's like, as Clarice is like going through the basement, there's like, paraphernalia from a bunch of different groups just like scattered about different places like he has um bed sheets that have like swastikas I sewn into them that. i was like what the fuck not yeah. only is he a serial killer he's a neo-nazi yeah um i can't remember what other specific items were in there but it's basically telling the story that like he's tried to fit in into all these different groups and never could do that there's a lot of like i don't know if it's like burlesque but like Kind of like showgirly looking outfits. Yeah. And like he has like... like I think he has a couple corsets and stuff yeah. like that. So it, he was like, God, imagine like trying to fit in with like white supremacists. <laughs> and then like you go to like... And you're doing uh, drag? Yes. It's like <laughs> this dude has... He, he, wants to, he wants to belong somewhere and he can't belong anywhere. Yeah. That combined with like violent tendencies, sociopathic tendencies... Um, yeah, he wants to transform. Yes. And understandably, that's like a weird tight rope to walk when it comes to like, um, the trans community and all that. So like, I get it if it, this movie like turns you off because of that. Um, but it's, it's worth talking but about. Why is that problematic? But they slash them, the Peacock original <laughs> horror movie, which I, I think that title is so awesome. Uh, they slash them. I'm so jealous of it. <laughs> Why is that okay? But Buffalo Bill is not. Uh, They're both killing people. Yeah. Maybe it's just the intent. Because like the movie is like, he's a trans person, but he's not a normal fucked up trans person. <laughs> yeah. He's a serial killer. I, I guess like, because oh. like they slash them, it's like about trans people and issues of uh, identity and community and they get into like um gay conversion therapy yes that's uh, the whole point of the camp yeah that's like the 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 main core of the story whereas this it's not so much that it's more about the relationship between clarice and dr Lecter as they buffalo bill is like an ancillary to the actual core of the story like you could swap out buffalo bill with like any other kind of serial killer and it would Mm -hmm. pretty much be the same so it's just uh, novelty it's like we're not a novel thing. Yeah. We're people. Right. Kind of like using little people in movies. And I don't know if it's as exploitative as that. Um, Buffalo Bill is useful because you are able to borrow that theme of like transformation where Buffalo Bill wants to do it in a really like weird fucked up way. And uh, for Clarice, it's more she transforms, but more, but less dramatically. And it's more of like a maturing for her where she's stepping out from, uh, this kind of more innocent, uh, trainee kind of life into what like Especially the FBI agent. actually has to deal with. Yeah. Um, but you, you could, at the core, you'd still have the Clarice and Dr. Lecter, um, dynamic if it was like another, uh, serial killer. But if it was a different serial killer, you'd probably have, different themes that you would borrow from that would flavor the story differently. 
Yeah. Um, but then you won't have the iconic scenes of uh, the tuck-in scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when that was happening, I'm like, we all know this scene. Yep. Yeah. Huge pop culture moments. Yeah, my, my roommate managed to walk in during that scene, <laughs> and that scene alone. Would you fuck me? <laughs> I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me so hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> Buffalo Bill is uh, actually one of the inspirations for the Plinkett voice. You know, they do sound the same. Yeah. I'd fuck me hard. I'd fuck me so hard. Was she a big fat lady? <laughs> Can you help me with this couch? Yeah. Can you go in the in the vehicle? Thanks. <laughs> Fucking idiots. I'm keeping them in my basement. Put the lotion in the basket. Yeah. God, my friends and I quoted that movie so much. It's very quotable. Surprisingly so for a crime procedural. God, because like you have this eccentric character of Buffalo Bill, because like he's not just like the Terminator, like killing people, right? Like there's a story with him, and he's so intriguing because we don't know anything about him. Yes, I like that they kept a lot of that a mystery. Um, like a lesser film probably would have shown like flashback scenes of like him with his parents. Yeah, if or, they remade it today. Yeah, or like you know him getting in trouble at school. Um, yep. Maybe like torturing an animal off screen or something. Kind of the, the usual like early signs of a serial killer or like a, a sociopath. Do you like sausages? Do you like eating sausages? I don't, I don't like where this is going. No, I'm just saying, do you like a like <laughs> yes. do you like a nice Italian beef? Yeah. From Portillo's. Maxwell Street Polish. Yeah. Mmm. It's so good. And yeah. you love the finished product. You don't want to see how it's made. No. <laughs> like we enjoy Buffalo Bill. For the finished product of Buffalo Bill, you know, killing people. Like, it's yeah. like, oh, so what an interesting character. We see, like, little tiny glimpses from his house that informs who this man is. But it's like, I don't want to see him when he's, like, 10. Yeah. Being bullied in school or whatever. It's like, that's not interesting. Well, it takes away the mystery. Yeah. And part of what's so compelling about him is that, like, with Clarice killing him at the end, it's like his secrets die with him. Then we'll never really know like why he wanted to do what he wanted to do. But right. the only the only way that we get perspective on his life is through Hannibal Lecter's insight. Because he was a former patient of Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Which is super like, interesting. Briefly, I think, but enough for him to know like who he was and what he was about. Yeah, like that whole dynamic of like Hannibal Lecter knew some information, but he only wanted to give it to Clarice, but mm-hmm. Clarice and riddles. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's very interesting of like him once again, toying with his prey. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to spoon feed you. Here's a little dash of information. I'm not going to, yeah. you know, expunge, you know, not expunge, but expose. Fuck. I can't think of the words. Divulge. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to divulge all the information. I'm just going to give you a little tiny bit, uh, piece. Yeah, and he even like starts bartering with Clarice, like, let me into your mind a little bit, and then I'll share a bit of information. Quid pro quo. Dangerous. Yeah. Dangerous. But that's the currency that he trades in. That's like what makes him feel alive, is like being able to... It's it's a very, um, it's a very intimate and powerful thing to be inside someone else's mind, and that's what, that's what rustles his jimmies. <laughs> I was going to ask, do you think Clarice was ever that vulnerable with him? But he, but she was because like, that's where we get her backstory is because she's telling Hannibal Lecter what happened with her father, mm-hmm. which set her life in motion. 
And not going to lie, I kind of teared up a little bit. Yeah. Watching that story. Because, like, her mom died when she was young, so, like, her father was her parental figure. Yeah. Everything. And then he died in the line of duty because he was mm-hmm. a cop. And that probably what inspired her to be an FBI agent because she wants to be like her dad. Catch the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I- I'm glad they did show like some flashbacks with her because it's like if we were Clarice, that's how we would remember, um, you know, important events like that happening to us. Like mm-hmm. she's in the funeral home initially for the autopsy of one of the victims. I think there's a funeral going on, but it's like not for her necessarily. I think it's just like another funeral going on. Yeah. And she kind of walks through it in a very dreamlike way and uh, goes back in her memory to when she like walked up to like her father in his casket. Yeah. Um, I think that was really powerful. And you know, kind of rule of threes. That's like the second flashback that we get. Yeah. And we expect like another flashback with, um, you know, her trying to save the little lamb mm-hmm. and we don't get it. I think that's, I think that was the right move. I think, uh, us, first of all, Jodie Foster's performance during that scene is like incredible oh, yeah. and you wouldn't want to cut away from that. Um, but yeah, it would have, would have chimed it a little bit. I think like this, this movie knows when to play its hand and when to just hold it. And I think that's great. Yeah. Like this movie is like, Oh man, if people haven't seen this movie, it's like, what are you, you're sleeping on? (laughs) Like when I was putting away some DVDs, I found, uh, silence of the lambs. I had it on DVD and it was a criterion collection. And and I'm like, Ooh, this belongs in the criterion collection. It does. If any, well, I don't know if this is true for you, but oh. I have this weird assumption that I have with like media oftentimes where what is it? if I have seen something, I kind of assume that like everybody else has already seen it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, if it's an old movie, you kind of assume yeah. many people seen it, but you'd be surprised who hasn't seen it. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, this movie's over 30 years old at this point. Like there's gotta be a ton of people who just haven't seen it for whatever reason so that's why i appreciate being able to talk about movies like this on your show um because we get to pass the torch to someone who maybe might not have seen it right like this movie god like it's probably one of the because like looking back i was like it's a horror movie and then when i was watching i'm like this isn't a horror movie (laughs) it's a thriller it's a suspense Kind it's of a, a drama. Yeah, I mean, there's horror elements, but like when you think of horror, you think of like overt, like it's trying to scare you. Yeah. Like this movie doesn't really do that. It's very atmospheric. It scares you from the inside. Do you think if, okay, I want to talk about this movie being remade before we get into like the whole transformation stuff. Sure. Um, do you think if this movie was remade by say a 24, it would be a good movie. Maybe have some people being lit on fire and levitating. Yeah. A- A24. Are you an A24 fan, Aaron? Less and less as time goes by. You don't like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies <laughs> with Pete Davidson? Um, A24 scratches a very particular niche. A- A24 is like the ACDC of like indie 
film companies. What? Where it's like, are you saying they're mainstream? I'm saying if you like that, if you like that, if you like ACDC, you like a particular sound, and you're gonna find it on like every album that they do. Yeah. Um, I think the same is with A24 in that they have a very particular style that they like to lend themselves to, mm-hmm. and. With some exceptions, it's not a hard and fast rule, but with some exceptions, um, that's pretty much what you're going to get with every movie that they put out. Decapitations. Yeah, some like weird supernatural shit. um, Coming on a green belt. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about the green knight? Yeah, it's all in there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, if you want like weird, depraved, um, off-the-wall, supernatural indie horror shit that like and you went to film school then like a24 is your thing mm-hmm. i'm not always in the mood for that sometimes you want a trashy 80s horror movie yeah with blood guts and boobs yeah <laughs> got hellraiser coming out who's a oh woman now hellraiser why are they dipping into that again I think they just have rights to it. They're like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? This is something that people know. Yeah, our rights expire next year unless we make a movie. She looks pretty awesome. Okay. I'm not gonna, did you see the picture of no. the, the new pinhead? It's a woman. She kind of looks like... Uh, is this going to do things to me, Armand? No, no, she's not sexual. Okay. Um, She kind of looks like Nebula from Guardians of the Galaxy, but a demonic version of that with nails all over her head. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, she looks like an android. It's pretty interesting. We'll see. We'll see. I, I like I like the first Hellraiser. The rest, not so much. You're gonna kill me because like you're talking about like how oh if I've seen this movie I assume other people have seen it. It's an old movie. <laughs> I've never seen Hellraiser. Oh, I know, but I know about it. I haven't seen Top Gun. I know about. Oh, it. either one. Either one. Damn. Okay. Like there's so many movies I haven't seen. Uh, Raging Bull. I haven't seen Taxi Driver. I haven't like there's so many like great movies that I haven't seen. I haven't seen Godfather two. Oh, been some God, Godfather one. Yeah, the only two Godfather movies. Is that why you started this podcast? No, <laughs> so you could work down your movie list. No, no, no. I started because I like talking about movies. <laughs> there you go. Just coincidentally, just watching movies I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's cool because then you have the chance to see something incredible for the first time and. Uh, like somebody else has the chance to like show that to you. Like I've never understood people who like react with hostility when you haven't seen something like you haven't seen Lord of the Rings. I don't know if it's hostility, maybe like, or like disbelief. It is disbelief. Yeah. Where it's like how you haven't seen this. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, which I've encountered a lot. People that say I haven't seen star Wars. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how, where have you been? Yeah. Like, I'm, I've met people that had no idea who Chewbacca was. Oh. Like, they would see a picture of Han and Chewbacca, and they would say, like, who's that gorilla he's next to? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it's Bigfoot. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They exist. And it's like, where have, where have you been? Because, like, these are, like, pop culture moments. Yeah. And I, I have met people who will get like very defensive if you have not seen a thing. I haven't seen that. It's my favorite movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's like, idiots. yeah, it's like, why not just be excited that you get to show this movie to me now? Anyway. That's a normal reaction. Yeah. Maybe those people aren't normal. <laughs> I'm not being disparaging, but it's like, oh, because like you could see the excitement in their eyes. Yeah. 
Like, oh my God, I'm showing you something that you have never experienced before. I want to see how you react. Yeah, that's why reaction videos are are a thing. I, I figured this out. Um, figured it out. Yeah, because I was watching, I was watching reaction videos to like um, different like bands that I like, whether it's a music video or like a concert or something like AC, that. DC. Um, <laughs> no, actually, uh, a lot of it was like. Uh, that concert that Metallica played in Russia in 1991, where they had like what? 2 million people there. Um, what? Yeah. You've not heard of this? That's obviously when Soviet Union fell, right? It was like a couple months before. Before? Yeah. Um, no, I haven't. Yeah. The, I forget who organized it, but it was called like the Monsters of Rock Tour. And wow. they had, um, among other bands, um, I think ACDC, um, Pantera, Metallica, and, oh, I always forget who, who the fourth one is. It's, it's like four huge like metal bands that were touring. Megadeth. Um, no, I don't think Megadeth was on that tour. Uh, they, they had like four big metal bands, and then they were um, touring across like Europe, and they would always have like local acts be like the openers. And somehow they got permission to uh, put a show on in the Soviet Union. And so they, uh, they, they, the concert venue was like this big ass, like military airfield. And, oh um, I think admission was free. They were just like, come in everybody. And, every, <laughs> and everybody came. It was like 2 million people. They estimated oh my maybe, God. maybe three. It was like the biggest concert in history. And, Holy shit. um, <laughs> yeah, the, the most people showed up for like Metallica and, Wow. You could see like um, uh, there, there's concert footage and it's just like a sea of people like as far as the eye can see. And Damn. they have like helicopters flying overhead because they were like yelling at people to like like basically settle down, <laughs> like stop moshing. And, and they, they there's like a line of like Soviet military police like right at the stage and they're like trying to keep people back. But then like halfway through the concert, like a bunch of the Soviet military police just like gave up and they like threw off their hats and they're just like cheering and no jumping up way. and down. Yeah. It's like, you could see the, the collapse of the Soviet union in real time. Oh it's so cool. God. Yeah. What? Yeah. Just look up Metallica, like Russia in 1991. You'll find it. That is amazing. But yeah. I, I, Holy shit. I fell into this rabbit hole of like people watching like reaction videos to people watching this. And I'm like, why am I doing this? And then I realized, <laughs> have you ever wished that, a piece of media that you saw that you could like go back in time and watch it with fresh eyes, like not having of seen course. it before at all. Of course. That's what you're doing when you're watching reaction videos. You're seeing like other people react to it, like to the oh. first time, the way that you remember reacting to it. Wow. It's a time machine. It is a time machine. Cause like that happened to me so many times where it's like, I wish I can watch this for the first time again. Yeah. Because it's that good. Now I, now I'm curious to see if there's like, Silence of the Lambs reaction videos. No. I'm sure there are to like, oh yeah, the Hannibal Lecter scene or whatever. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm spooked. <laughs> All right, one million views. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. Okay, so let's get into the whole transformation motif with Buffalo Bill because, like, there's a lot of things pointing to that. Because, like, when I was watching this, it wasn't until talking to you right now. I put all the pieces together. Oh, because I know it's like the butterflies and like that special moth that he put mm -hmm. into his victims. So like 
And then with the suit, I was like, there's something going on, but I'm not putting it together. And now I put it together. Mm. Because when you said transformation, I was like, all right, this all makes sense. Yeah. So can you unpack that a little bit? Okay. So a major theme of this movie is transformation. Mm -hmm. And one of the symbols that shows up again and again to, well, symbolize this is the butterfly. Yes. So we see it first. Um, I think it's when one of the victims has like, uh, as they're doing like the autopsy on her, Clarice notices that there's like something in her mouth mm-hmm. and they pull it out and it's like a, um, like a larvae of uh, what they think might be a butterfly. It turns out to be a moth or like a cicada or um, chrysalis whatever it is. Um, and, uh, it's a very particular kind of moth. It's, uh, a death's head moth. I don't know if this actually exists, but for the purposes of the story, okay. They do. Um, so, and this ends up being one of the things that helps, uh, track down Buffalo bill because, uh, the eggs have to be imported from like East Asia, I think, Mm -hmm. and, uh, specially cared for. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and this comes to be identified with Buffalo Bill because it's a, it's a creature that transforms and it's like marked by death because it has like the skull on the back of it. Yeah. Um, which by the way is on the movie poster and the, yes. if you look closely on the movie poster, the skull itself is a recreation of a Salvador Dali photo where the skull itself is made out of like six or seven nude women, like arranged. Yes. Yes. Which, you know, ties into the theme of the serial killer, like hunting down women. Oh, my God. It's all connected, man. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And the butterfly motif shows up in a couple of different places. Um, Buffalo Bill's house is decorated with, like, butterfly imagery. Like, there's a little, like, spinning mobile mm-hmm. that's, like, it's twisted in a way so that, like, you see one side of it and then it spins and then there's, like, another side of it. Yeah. Which, another... Uh, symbol of transformation and there's like butterflies on each one mm-hmm. and um where else does it show up uh dr lecter makes himself his own butterfly out of uh one of the police that he kills um yes when he's uh escaping from his like temporary holding cell uh he disembowels one of the uh police officers and like strings him up and arranges him in such a way that he looks like a butterfly I always thought he looked like an angel because like could be in the scene before that, when he was still in his cell in the ballroom, he's like doing sort of like a Christ imagery thing where his with his arms open. Yeah. He's, he's like lit overhead. And so I was like, okay. Moved by the music. Yeah. So like seeing that essentially someone being crucified, I was like, okay. So Christ imagery, but like looking like a butterfly with the wings and stuff. So it's like, that makes more sense. Yeah. Like the skin on his torso is like pulled apart to like mm-hmm. kind of resemble, um, part of wings. And, yeah. uh, I think there's like banners or streamers that he's like tied up with that also kind of, um, make a butterfly shape. And you might be right about the angel thing. I wouldn't discount that, but based on what I saw at the museum of like the pre-production material, um, there's a couple of iterations of sketches that they made to try to invoke that butterfly shape in different ways. And there's like a sketch of, a, that disemboweled policeman, like arranged in like a butterfly pattern. 
I mean, if that was the intent from the beginning, it's probably a butterfly. Yeah. Um, and most crucially, uh, Buffalo Bill, in his basement at one point, he's like basically doing himself up um, and kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. He's like dancing to music, but he's like almost imitating or like acting as what he thinks a woman should be. Yeah. That's, that's when he does a little, little, little Texas duck there. And, um, uh, but he's also got like this robe on and he like parts it like butterfly wings. So he's like becoming the idea of like a butterfly. One thing that transforms one into the other. You're right. So that's all the visual symbolism that I can remember as far as butterflies go. But, um, and I'm just putting this together now. Um, death uh, traditionally has been seen as, um, you know, the end of a life, but also uh, as a symbol of transformation or transition. Yeah. Because um, um, classically, you would think of um, if you believe in the afterlife, that death is like merely a transition from one state of being to another. Mm-hmm. Um, in the uh, tarot card deck, there's the uh, there's the death figure who um like oriented right side up it has more positive connotations and it means like the end of something and like transition uh, or transformation into something else um so there's a there's a there's a close hand in hand tie between like death and transition as well as in the mind of buffalo bill his transition from whatever he is now into the thing that he covets and the thing that he thinks will bring him happiness, which is, I guess, becoming a woman in a very primal fucked up way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like, we're not going to know why he wants to do it, but like he wants to transform into whatever he was meant to be, or just to look entirely different than how he does right now. Because like during that scene where he spreads his robe opens to look like a butterfly and he does the Texas tuck. Yeah. He also has, I don't know if you noticed, probably to have, um, he has the scalp of one of his victims on his head. It's I did the, notice. It's not a wig. It's the scalp with yeah. the hair still on it. Oh, that's fucked up. So yeah, deeply disturbed individual. But like when you said like, it's about transformation, like so many characters in this film have transformed. We have Clarice that goes from trainee the special agent. Mm-hmm. We have Hannibal Lecter that goes from being a predator and by the end of the film he respects another person. Well, before he didn't really do that. Like everyone like he's isolated from everybody. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the film he's out in the public and also he has a little bit of a friend in Clarice. Yeah. I actually don't think he changes all that much. Um, he's mo- He's merely the catalyst for like Clarice to change. Um, okay. If anything, he might, this might be pushing the metaphor too far, but he's like basically breaking out of his chrysalis um, where he's, if anything, it's like his circumstances that change. He's going from a prisoner to uh, basically a, a predator able to run freely on the Serengeti. Yes. Um, so I think that's like his most transitionary um, quality in the story. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't think he changes much himself. 
No, it's just his fondness with Clarice. That's the only difference. Yeah, that's fair. That I can see. Because we're we're not told about anybody else for whom he holds that kind of respect and regard for. Nope. Like he's pretty detached from everybody. And then you have Buffalo Bill that you know, he wants to transform, but then doesn't. Mm-hmm. He has cut down before he could. Yeah, he doesn't complete his transition. So you wanted to talk about the cinematography. Was yeah. there anything we missed with that? We talked a lot about how point of view is used and the way that close-ups and looking into the camera lens um, really imitate that. Um there's some, there's some shots. A lot of this movie just feels like it's shot almost like a documentary where it's very much like almost like a police procedural, just following the case as it progresses. But yeah. then there's times where it feels very dreamlike, um, particularly when we're in Buffalo Bill's house in his basement, the way the camera kind of like glides through different parts of that. Mm. Um, and not sure if this would fall under cinematography, but um, I guess in some ways it it, it would. Um, Catherine at the end, kind of the last uh, kidnap victim of Buffalo Bill, uh, she at one point ends up getting Buffalo Bill's dog yeah. and is trying to use that as like a bartering chip to uh, escape. Mm-hmm. And when Clarice goes to like finally rescue her and she's like looks down into the the pit that she's in. Yeah. Um, Catherine's looking up, she's holding this white fluffy dog and it's just like pleading for help. Very much parallels Clarice trying to save the, the lamb. Yes. It's like the, the roles have been reversed and Clarice is finally in a position to be able to do something about it. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that Dr. Lecter asks her, which she can't answer is like, do you think that by solving this case, uh, you'll stop hearing the screaming of the lambs? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a the title of the whole movie is kind of a play on that because they never say the silence of the lambs in the film, but they do say the screaming of the lambs. Yeah. Uh, anyway, th- so th- there's there's a visual parallel between Catherine and past Clarice. Uh, and, and even when like Catherine's rescued, like she refuses to let the dog go, mm-hmm. um, even as she's being tended to. So. Um, yeah, I think we mostly discussed everything I wanted to discuss on cinematography. Did you notice anything that contributed to that contributed to that? Um, just overall, the cinematography was done very well because like we said before, everything was visually told to us instead of, you know, expository dumps Mm -hmm. where it slows the pacing down. Like this movie was paced extremely well. It didn't feel like a two hour movie. Definitely felt shorter. Yeah. Um, and like you said, everything was matter of fact. There wasn't too much styling when it comes to cinematography, which grounds it, which makes it more believable and gritty and real, which is what you want in this type of storytelling. You don't want it to be overly stylized where you're just focusing on the visuals instead of what's actually happening with the characters and right. stuff. So yeah, it's very is, good. This is not like drive or yeah, exactly anything with like a hugely <laughs> stylized look. Imagine if like this movie was in style of drive where like the characters barely spoke. You have a synth wave <laughs> a soundtrack and yeah. like lens flares and 
that would be that would be a completely different movie. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's it, it's you're right. It's very firmly grounded in reality. Um, I've said it before, but I think the greatest strength of the cinematography in this movie is just how it controls point of view and perspective. Even like when there are scenes without Clarice at all, um, we never really see it from any particular character's perspective. Um, I'm thinking of when like you know it puts the lotion in the basket scene yeah like the the when we're seeing buffalo bill from down below like the camera's like down in the well but it doesn't feel like it's exactly at ground level right it's like not 100 percent from Catherine's point of view yeah and vice versa if we're looking down into it we only really get like eye level view once clarice enters the scene so right. that's probably the most clever part of the cinematography i would say yeah good shit yeah are you ready to get off the fence Let's do it. Okay. So my first question is, we talked about it a little bit before. Do you think Clarice finally got the silence of the lambs? If there wasn't Red Dragon and Hannibal and Hannibal Rising or whatever the fuck, I would say <laughs> yes. Um, self-contained in the story, I think she does. Okay. Um, She's not in those other movies. Jodie Foster isn't. The character Clarice is in those movies. She's in. I don't. I, I, I don't know about Red Dragon. I think she's in she's Hannibal. In, she is. She's played um, by Julianne Moore. Yes. So, I don't agree with that casting choice. No, I, I mean that movie. You didn't have Jonathan Demme. You didn't have Jodie Foster. No one wanted to come back. Nobody wanted Except to Anthony come back. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, um, maybe that's what this movie is like missing if I had anything to nitpick about. Um, I have two things actually. Oh, I think the first thing would be like, we don't really see a ton of closure for Clarice. Um, we see that she graduates. We see that she like has earned the respect of her peers. Yeah. And I even think that scene is framed in a way much different than the beginning where she's not like smaller than everyone. Um, she might be like in heels or it's just like framed in such a way that she's people probably are, in heels cause they're at a party. Yeah. And people aren't like towering over her. Yeah. Um, and, uh, if, if I could add anything, it'd be like a short, like little scene where, you know, she's like the day's done, she's going to bed and she just like, has a peaceful little nap. That's a lame so, ending. It's lame, but it's, it's something to show like some resolution to that story where she's like. Well, she's at the party and everyone's like, good job. You did it. Like they caught the killer. That's why they're having the party. Yeah. That's, that's her external success, but I'm talking about like internal. Yeah. The, the as a character. Yeah. The, the psychological victory of like, she's faced her fears. She has caught the bad guy. Like she's at peace with herself. You want her to look, you want Jodie Foster to look directly at the camera and say, wow, <laughs> Now that's a silence of the lambs. No. Fade to black. No, that's the worst way you could do that. <laughs> um, so don't straw man my argument, young man. Um, no, just something to show that, like, oh, yeah, so she's made. Now. She's made. A, she's made peace with whatever. Um, Maybe her looking at the sunset. I don't know. Something. Um, wow! Finally, because silence. What, what we're left with is just like, um, you know, her getting a phone call from Dr. Lecter and she's like, right. that thread is open. Um, just some resolution there would be nice. I would, I would think here's how I would reframe it. So like you have the party and then she leaves the party. Maybe you have like, maybe it's like the moon or the sun setting and just this peaceful moments. 
where she's alone and she's like, and then that's when she gets the call. Yeah. Yeah. That'd so probably like, be the way to do so it. It's like you have that moment of like closure, like, oh, okay, finally I could rest. Hello, yeah. Clarys. Yeah. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah. Um, second thing I want to nitpick is like, this is the first time I watched the movie on like a pretty good sound system. And, uh, during, I think the first conversation that Clarice and, uh, Dr. Lecter have, uh, <laughs> the sound is so sloppy. Like you can hear someone like cough in the background, like while they're talking <laughs> and I'm like, they, le- <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, they left that in. And, um, during the third conversation, when she's like telling her silence of the lamb story to Dr. Lecter, like some PA like drops a pipe in the background. No. Yeah. Watch that scene again and like listen for it. But Maybe it's supposed to be in there. I don't think You don't so. think it was supposed to be in there? No. Because like who, there's nobody else in the room besides like, like the two cops, like in the corner. I'm like, you could have edited that out. Anyway, that's so my two nitpicks. Dr. Lecter, how's it going? Oh. <laughs> We're keeping it. It's a shot on film. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, that's my, wow. That's my two nitpicks, but yeah. Uh, if I think Clary's got some, some silence, uh, no longer hears the screams cause she's finally proven herself as someone who can catch the bad guys and act justice and like yeah. give her some peace with her father, I think. Yeah. And didn't really show that. It's like, we don't need it, but it would be nice. It, that's a little, uh, it's the, it's the cherry on top. If we got that. Yeah. We don't need it, but it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think she got the silence too. Um, so do you think this movie holds up today? I think it does. Um as always with like any movie, especially in today's world where you can get like just as much information as the Library of Alexandria on every movie that you watch. Right. I think it's a I think it all comes down to like managing your expectations. Um if you're watching this for spooky scary month and you're expecting something like the Vivitch or um like the conjuring something that's gonna like jump scare you and like rattle you to your bones yeah um this movie's not it it's much more of a a cerebral kind Mm -hmm. of horror um Mm -hmm. it's gonna affect you very differently so like don't go in expecting it's also like not no, it's pretty gory, but gory in a different way than I guess what we're used to. Um, yeah. We're used to like very explicit like acts of violence. Yeah. A lot of what you get in this movie is more so the aftermath, right? Uh, and sometimes it's done, it's handled very like clinically, and other times it's like the horror of the moment. Um, so just have that expectation going in. But I think as long as you do that, uh, yeah, absolutely, this movie holds up. I think it holds up too. Like the storytelling is so masterfully done and the pacing is great. The cinematography is amazing. Like it's such a beautifully shot movie Mm -hmm. and honestly it kind of doesn't really seem its age. It just looks really nice. Yeah. Really the only thing that gives away the age is like some of the suits, the fashion, (laughs) the the technology. Yeah, they're like sending faxes. Um, <laughs> nobody has cell phones. They're taking a B fifty two bomber <laughs> as a plane. Yeah, we're going to get Buffalo Bill. It's like, holy, <laughs> is this World War Two? <laughs> yeah, I think it's an AC one thirty actually. But old ass shits. Yeah, 
Um, and you know, she Clarice is like doing research in a library with like microfiche, and uh, it's very cinematic. People still do it, I guess. But yeah, all that shit holds up. Would you say this is a good Halloween movie? Hmm. No. I don't think it's... Um, then why'd you recommend it for Halloween? <laughs> it's a good October movie. It's a good, like, lead-up to Halloween. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure I would watch this or screen this on Halloween. Um, there's a lot more, like... Halloween-y. Yeah, like Halloween. Yeah. It's, like, very... Uh, if you're looking for more classic horror, then you're probably best looking elsewhere. But this is more... Uh, horror on a psychological, cerebral level, and some somewhat on the physical level as well. But so, yeah, this is this will be closer to like something like Seven, which yeah. I also wouldn't classify as like a Halloween movie, but no. um, could very well be like a in the run up a, a spooky appetizer. It's the foreplay before the main course. Yeah, I, I mean, I do want to say that, but <laughs> I guess I guess Lecter would consider it foreplay. Yes. So, like, your your friend, your roommate, who is obsessed with uh, Christmas, mm-hmm. where he has, like, hard Christmas movies and like, Christmas-adjacent yeah. movies. So, yep. he has, like, all these films leading up to Christmas. Um, Science of the Lambs for Halloween is one of those lead-up movies yes. to the main event. Yes, it's Halloween-adjacent. Um, you can find people with, like, a Dr. Lecter costume on Halloween. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I, but, yeah, it's not, like you said, the main course. All right. Yeah, I agree with that, too. My final question. Would you recommend this movie to a friend? Oh, 100%. Why? Why should people see this movie? People aren't challenged enough by horror anymore, I don't think. Not Black Phone. (laughs) Not The Purge. I think horror works best when, on some level, it's it's a controlled safe way to explore like our fears mm. um yeah and like the darker side of our nature and i think it's most effective when it's not just a like a visceral roller coaster ride where they're yeah um using like jump scares and uh other gimmicks to kind of rattle you on a um immediate surface level. Uh, I think horror works best when it gets us to ask questions about um, like human behavior and why we act the way that that we do Mm -hmm. um, and get us to reflect on our darker sides because it's important to, it's important to keep that shit in keep it on tight lockdown. And there are more and more people who don't know how to do that or are not able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying like a movie would save them from that necessarily, <laughs> but it's, it's an important, it's an important thing to have for the collective human psyche to be able to be like, we need to deal with this before it gets out of hand. Right. And movies are a safe Avenue to explore that with mm. um, that. I, I think a lot of modern movies kind of miss the point. I think it's more about spectacle and um, entertainment rather than an invitation to reflect on yourself and your nature. Mm. Um, and movies like Silence of the Lambs, they they get there. They 
they provoke challenging questions like what does it mean to like manipulate other people um Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What are healthy ways to find your identity and belonging in a group? Um, and how can we extend that to others? Yeah. Um, and what is someone like Buffalo Bill missing that they end up like, like that? Or Dr. Lecter for that, for that matter. Right. Um, not, not, not every horror movie has to do that. Sometimes it's nice to just have like a monster that's a monster and that's the end of it. Um, but if you want something deeper, you check out Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. You watch Seven instead yeah. of Friday the 13th. And when you do that, maybe not the first time you watch it, but when you do that, try to put yourself in the shoes of someone like Dr. Lecter or Buffalo Bill. Yeah. And think like, what would it what would be necessary for me to make the choices and decisions that they make or to see the world, how they see it. Right. Um, yeah. Might surprise you. That was so beautifully said. I would recommend to similar to, to your reasoning as well, because like the movie challenges you and it's just a glimpse into like the darkness, the shadow mm. of humanity. And it does it so effectively in not a gratuitous way. I mean, we have like a villain that like sews human skin to make a suit out of it. It's yeah. pretty fantastical and not normal, but like it does it in like a very tasteful way where it's not like spectacle. Yeah. It's just matter of fact. It's the, the, the horror of like humanity because like, cause like every time you talk about spectacle, I think of like, Nope. Yeah. Which was all <laughs> I, I, about spectacle. I regretted that as soon as it left my mouth. <laughs> You're like, shit. I've already talked about this. But like the I mean I mean, we talked about Nope, which was Jordan Peele like putting it in our face like, here's what you want. Mm-hmm. See how bad it is. <laughs> yeah. And like this is like the complete opposite, where it's like no spectacle. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how does the audience feel about that? Yeah. It's like two it's like two ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. 
And I think they, they, they both work in their own ways, but like, it's definitely a critique on spectacle and how it's like, we don't really need a grandiose show to communicate this point. Yeah. And Silence of the Lambs does that. Subtlety. Yes. Self-control. Yes. Less is more. Less will always be Show more. don't tell. Yes. All this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's Silence of the Lambs. Go watch it. Are you ready to close this out? Let's do it. All right. Well, that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about Silence of the Lambs. Please check it out where it is available. And before we go, Aaron, thank you so much for coming back. Yeah. Thank you. It's always you. a blast. Where can people find you? So I am the producer and co-host of WSTR, Galactic Public Access, a Star Wars podcast. Oh, yeah. So that's at WSTR Media. Everywhere your fine uh, podcasts are sold. Um, We're on a race towards our 300th episode. Oh, my God. We're going to try to get there before the end of the year, which would be our six-year anniversary. What number are you at right now? Uh, 283 is going to be next week. Really? Which... I don't know when this episode is coming out, but not for a while. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 gonna try to make it. Okay. Um. Yeah. Right now we are doing kind of our lead up to the Andor show, which is coming out at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Um. So looking forward to that, and we've got like three other Star Wars shows in the pipeline. So really, yeah, we're gonna be busy. Because you have the Acolytes. Yeah. We which... have Andor. Then we have Bad Batch. Then we have the Acolyte. Okay. Then we have Ahsoka. You're going to cover all of them? Mm-hmm. Good luck. <laughs> Are they all, like, being released sporadically? Or is it all at the same time? Um, we don't have a release... Uh, well, and Andor- Andor's coming out next. And then um, we don't have a release date for the Bad Batch yet, but uh, it's probably going to come out right after Andor, because it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, then after that will likely be either Soka or Mendo Season 3. Did you see the season three leak? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about it for a little bit. Then we can. Then we can stop. All right. <laughs> um, like the final shot of that leaked trailer. Oh, it yeah. took me a second to realize what I was looking at. I was like, I was like, I was stunned. I couldn't move <laughs> for about thirty seconds. My hands were on my mouth. I was like, Oh my god! Yeah. It's the ruins of the Death Star. Yeah. They're on Endor. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do? Like, oh, I just can't wait for Mando season three. Yeah. It looks really good. It does. Andor's shaping up really nicely, too. Um, so uh, without getting into the weeds. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, we're doing our run up to Andor. Then probably co- covering Bad Batch after that, trying to get to 300 before the end of the year. Well, good luck. Yeah. Then uh, more shows besides that so at wstr media we release a episode every wednesday we live stream our recordings most every monday night uh yeah check it out check it out but if you want to keep this conversation going please add us on your social media platform at syndicates that's syndicate on instagram and letterboxd or you can jump on the discord server at syndicate.com forward slash discord where you can catch myself aaron other podcasters other listeners talking about this movie and others So until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time.